Coming up in this episode, Nick J. Russo tells us the story of how one bandmate set him on the path to becoming an audiobook narrator. Welcome to episode 284 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. I'm Jeff Adams, and with me as always is my co-host and husband, Will Knaus. Hello, Rainbow Romance readers. Another week, another episode. We are so glad that you can join us. And before we get to the interview, we'd like to take a moment to introduce you to another show that's part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Now, we love Sarah Wendell's smart podcast, Trashy Books, and we think you will too. Here's Sarah to tell you a little bit more about her show. Well, hello there. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Podcast Trashy Books, part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Smart Podcast focuses on romance fiction, the nifty folks who read it and write it, and always what books we're reading and want to tell you about. It might be an expensive podcast to listen to, but I promise great recommendations and conversations every week. We have talks about burnout with educators like Amelia and Emily Nagoski. We have gossip sessions with authors like Nalini Singh, and we're always having a good time, and I'd love it if you joined us. New episodes arrive every Friday, and you can find Smart Podcast Trashy Books on your favorite podcast app. Now, it hasn't taken Nick J. Russo very long to amass 200 audiobooks to his credit. I know that I've loved some of Nick's work on books by H.J. Welge and Victoria Sue, to just name a couple, and it was really great to talk to him about how he got started and what his creative process is. So let's get to that right now. Nick, welcome to the podcast. It is so wonderful to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, after we had you for Holiday Storytime, we need to have you on to get your whole story. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was so much fun. I had a lot, of, a lot of fun doing that with the other guys. I so had a great time that night, just hearing everybody kind of do their thing live. Because I've seen narrators do the live things that like GRL and stuff mm -hmm. and switch the voices out. What is it like for you to do live where you are reading it and have to like click the voices around without the benefit potentially of start, stop, edit, et cetera? It's a little, a little nerve wracking, especially when I first started doing it. My first year at GRL was 2017 and I was expected to just show up and read in front of a panel of potentially, I think it was in the hundreds of people who were in that panel hall that day. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm used to stopping, starting. And if I don't say a word right, I get to redo it. But I kind of prepped myself to be able to just be a bit forgiving with my read. If I didn't nail it exactly how I would have said it in the booth. And it's like, oh, well, I'm not going to sit here and say retake. Take two. Everybody hang on a second. <laughs> exactly. Retake. You just pause. Start. But, you know, after I did it the first time, it became a lot easier each time after that. And it's a different experience for sure. But I enjoy it nonetheless. It's, it's equally entertaining to narrate in front of a live audience. And at GRL, certainly, I mean, it's probably a, a very forgiving audience because everybody's a fan already, but it's a lot of people that show up to those narrator people. panels. Oh, yeah, yeah. That I mean, in Denver that first year, it was the very first thing on the schedule. And again, that was my first ever experience. So I show up and, okay, first thing on your schedule, read in front of everyone. I'm like, oh, boy, here we go. <laughs> oh, yeah. And at Denver, it was the first time they'd done that. And it was the only thing on the schedule. So yeah, that room was packed. I remember that. I got stuck in the back because yeah. I got there too late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good thing I had a drink beforehand. <laughs> so for those who don't know, what is your origin story? I mean, how did Nick Russo 
become an audiobook narrator? What was what did that path look like? Well, my origin story begins about seven years ago. It was right at the start of 2014. I was in a band called Red Eye Dawn with two other guys. And one of them you may recognize, Drew Baca, was also in the band. Okay, yeah, I know that name. I think many, many of our listeners will know that many name too. Many listeners will probably know that name for sure. And during practice one day, he was talking about how he was recording audiobooks now through a studio called Falcon Sound Company, also a name you probably know. Indeed, yes. Uh, yep. And I was already familiar with them. We'd actually recorded some of uh, the album we were working on with Falcon Sound already. So when Drew was talking about it, I was so intrigued and I wanted in on it. So I didn't have a lot of experience other than some really small work on some high school productions, little to no experience acting or voice acting. But I thought well, that was that sounded like a lot of fun. I just thought this could be a really cool hobby. So I approached John and asked him if I could have a shot at working with him on something. He gave me an audition. And sure enough, I got signed with my first book shortly thereafter. And while it was similar to live reading, it was a bit nervous doing your first book. I think every, every narrator goes through that with the first book. You know, some someone entrusted me, just some guy to narrate their story. And, you know, I was thrilled and I had so much fun coming up with the different voices and just performing it as best I could. And like I said, it was a hobby at first. I, I didn't think much beyond it besides just it was fun. I was working a day job at a cellular service company and just considered it a creative outlet for me in addition to being in a band. But it was after my third or fourth title, I came into the studio one day and, you know, a long day of troubleshooting phones at the office. And John pulls me aside and he says, that last book you did, you really are making some waves, man. And th that was kind of the moment right there where I'm like, this could be beyond a hobby for me. I could actually make this into a, you know, a gig, a, a career of some kind. So over the next year or so, I made it almost my singular goal to make that work. I was at the studio as many days a week as I could, narrating books and trying to make a name for myself. And then it was only a few months later that it started to turn into a part-time gig. And then by the fall of that same year, I forcibly made it into a full-time gig. I quit my job and I'm like, I'm going to make this work hell or high water. And then less than a year after that, I set up my own home studio with my wife, who is my producing partner as well. She, she handles all the post-production work on my books. And then the rest, I would say, is, is history. I've recorded over 200 titles, received some awards, including the best LGBTQ plus audiobook and the independent audiobook awards. Traveled across the country and the world, met fans, authors, other narrators, lifelong friends, and I couldn't really be happier. And for those who don't know, the John that you mentioned is John Solo, who actually Solo. runs Falcon Sound Company, That's of course, correct. as a narrator in his own right as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very talented man. Yeah, I mean, in addition to being a great narrator, he is a tech wizard. He helped me set up my studio. He's always, you know, trying out cutting edge technology to enhance the audiobook process. He's quite something. You mentioned like high school productions that you'd been in. Had you considered mean any aspect of acting voice work performance as like beyond like the music side in the band you know as a fantasy as a daydream because 
I, I graduated high school in 2004. And at that point, the internet definitely wasn't what it is today. And the idea of doing a sort of voice acting, I would need to move to New York or Los Angeles or something like that to, to get into what I do. And that just never really appealed to me. So I'm like, oh, it'd be cool if I could do that, but it's just not realistic. So no, up until I got introduced about seven years ago, it never even really crossed my mind as a serious consideration. Mm -hmm. And how did you land in MM Romance? Is it just because that's the work that was coming in or did it become yeah. kind of the thing that interested, interested you the most as you did more of it? Well, MM Romance is what I've, was my first title, what I've been doing since the very beginning. First several books were narrated by Andrew Gray, Casey Wells, you know, and I've done several other titles in different subgenres of romance and even just out of romance altogether. But romance is definitely what I call home. You know, nice warm blanket where I'm most comfortable. By far, the, the most titles I've done are MM Romance. So I enjoy it. What is it about romance that attracts you? I think that I like the, the general tropes that you find in romance. I, I like a couple getting together and then experiencing some sort of drama together. I, I like the settings that are combined with romance. They're always super interesting to me. And then, of course, you know, I, I think I've made, according to some of my fans, a bit of a name for me for some of the sex scenes as well. I think I do a pretty good job. With those. <laughs> so, you know, it's just it's comfortable to me. I, I like I like the general tropes you find in romance. And you certainly cut across so many subgenres which of course then you're cutting across tropes too. I mean, just looking at some of what you'd released just within December between like red hair and mountain way chant and tacos and Tardis. I mean, that's three wildly different things. <laughs> oh yeah. Pretty, pretty massive different subgenres, aren't they? Yeah. It's, it's quite something how diverse the romance industry is. I, I guess when I first started it, I, I didn't really have any knowledge on it. I just kind of assumed it, it would be pretty much all the same, but that's just based off of having no information at all together. But as soon as you, you start exploring it, you're like, oh, there are titles in every which way you can imagine. Take those three you mentioned, Red Air. That's, that's a, a fantasy. You've got Mountain Way Chant. That's a, a thriller. It's a, a chase for a serial killer. And then Taxes and Tardis. That's just a nice, fluffy, modern day love story. So they go every which way. And it keeps me interested for sure to be able mm -hmm. to just switch from one of those to another. Those, as you said, those are all in one month. So I had quite a diverse month in November. <laughs> Do you prep differently for the different type of book that something is as you, you know, get ready to go into the booth with it? I'd say the prep work is generally the same from one title to the next. I'll give it an initial review, see what kind of characters the book calls for. And then I'll do my best to match my performance to what's written. And if that, calls for a more reserved British accent like in Taxes and Tardis or a worthy crime boss in Mountain Way Chant or in Orc with a soft heart in Red Air. I do my best to match what's written, you know, so but generally the process is all the same. Do you end up and have to like research voices for for things, you know, that are like the European accents and things like that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So part of my day is, you know, if I've got accents that I'm not particularly comfortable with is sitting there with some YouTube videos and trying to refine it. So yeah, it, I, I've definitely expanded my, my repertoire with over 200 titles at this point, but some of them take a lot more research than others. No doubt. <laughs> <laughs> How would you say that your approach has changed from those early books 
seven years ago. Definitely refined. I know the process much better. I know what to expect more than I did just flying by the seat of my pants back then. And having a business partner in my wife is, is incredible being able to, you know, bounce ideas off her. And, and, you know, she likes to say that when she QCs my work, she likes to tell everyone that she tells me what I, what I did wrong. So (laughs) (laughs) between, between her creative input and, and just my experience, it's, it's got definitely gotten more refined. Are there any particular types of stories or characters that are like your favorite to work on? Well, I'd call myself a pretty big geek. I love all things Star Wars, Marvel, DC, and whatnot. So anytime I get a chance to voice something in the sci-fi genre or fantasy or cyberpunk, I get really excited. There's just something so fun and unique about playing characters in these fantasy settings that really sparks or really speaks to the nine-year-old in me. (laughs) You know, just the little boy like, oh my God, this is so cool. But I find enjoyment in any given character I get to perform. But definitely some of the ones that have stuck with me for years after Under the Rushes, where I essentially got to play a steampunk version of Batman, a rogue angel in the dichotomy of angels, or a vampire assassin in the Falling Sky series. So I definitely like the more fantastical characters. Like right now, I'm having a blast voicing the sequel to Red Air, Elf Defense. And just those characters are larger than life and hysterical. How much do you collaborate with the author when you're going through these and establishing your voices? Or is it all a matter of, you know, the performance is yours and the written word belongs to them? So I work with the author. Initially, they'll have some notes for me. I actually send them a, a bit of a, a, a worksheet when I, when I set up a, a book with them just to, if there's anything particular that they want me to know about what's not spoken or what's not written on the page and uh, who these characters are. And th- they'll have some notes in terms of what they generally have in mind. Some have something specific. Some are completely open for interpretation. So I'll use that. And uh, then I'll give them a first 15 which is generally the first chapter of of any given book and just see if I'm on the right page or not. And then if they approve that, then I go through the rest of it. Sometimes if an author is particular about some characters that show up later in in the book, I will send them some pre-recorded samples of those just to be sure. I don't want to finish the production. They're not happy with a particular thing, but yeah, more often than not, they, they give me some creative Liberty to, to voice it as I see fit. And I imagine you must have libraries of voices so that you can go back if you're doing a series and remind yourself of what somebody sounded like back in book one (laughs) when they actually show up in book four again or something. Precisely. Oh, yeah. I mean, with some of these series, there's 20, 30, 40 different characters and one might show up, as you say, at the beginning and then he doesn't show up until book five. It's like, wait a minute. I have no idea who that that voice sounded like. So, yeah, a whole library of samples to consult just to be sure of that very thing. Is it ever a worry with series that go on for five, eight, how many ever books it is that you run out of voices? I mean, is that a a thing that can happen or at least a concern that can happen? (laughs) You know, it, it crosses my mind on occasion, especially when they go for that long, you know, but I think that the key there is not necessarily to worry about running out of voices because of course I'm only one guy and only able of altering my voice so much but rather matching the performance and the character appropriately. 
if my voice sounds the same, but that voice is narrating a straight-laced do-gooder in one book, maybe I'll give him a more reserved and lacking confidence type of personality. But then I use that exact same voice to play like a rogue biker alpha in another, for example, oozing swagger and charm. Then I don't think it really makes much of a difference if that voice pitch-wise sounds the same just because the performance overshadows that, you know? This might be asking you to pick a favorite child, but I have to ask it anyway. Are there favorite characters or stories, you know, sitting throughout your catalog of these 200 plus titles? <laughs> that is definitely too hard of a question. <laughs> I, I would say I, I find a favorite something in almost every book I do, whether it's a particular character, general storyline, even just the setting. There's always something that draws me in and sticks with me every time I get done recording it. You know, as an example, I'm in the middle of recording a series by Nikki James that takes place in Jasper, Alberta. It's a small town nestled deep within the Canadian Rockies. And I got to say, in addition to writing phenomenal characters, you generally feel for and want to see happy by the end of the book. The way she describes that town is just insanely breathtaking. And after I pulled it up on Google Maps, because I didn't do that beforehand, but I, I looked at it afterward. She definitely nailed it. I, I've never heard of it before reading her book. I never heard of that town before, but now I feel like I've actually been there. And my wife and I actually joked that we'd like to retire there. It's that gorgeous and breathtaking. <laughs> so there's always something in a book. There's always something that, that sticks with me and, and I could call my favorite, but to pick one book overall, it'd be too hard. <laughs> That's great that you found a town. My, my thing with books and towns is the towns I ultimately want to go to don't actually exist. Right? I mean, yeah, there, there's other series that I've done that also sound really cool, but then lo and behold, it's entirely fake. I'm like, well, that sucks. I wanted to go and travel there. <laughs> mm -hmm. But this one, Jasper, that, and she even uses real places in her book, like real locations within jasper so i've even looked those up and yeah it's it's just awesome it's really cool to see so that's very cool now i'm gonna have to go read these books to to learn about this canadian town <laughs> highly recommend it because like i said her, the characters are phenomenal too they, i mean it, it had me engaged the entire time how many books are you able to get through in an average month i'd say it depends on the length so average book i can usually get through I'd say three to four is about what I, I generally do. I, I try to shoot for about a book a week. So mm -hmm. about an eight hour book usually takes me about five, five days to do. Right. Cause I assume you could only talk so much per day before the quality of voice just drains out at some point. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's definitely not a matter of like, Oh, it's an eight hour book. So eight hours. No, no, it's, it's, it takes much longer than that. And as you say, you, you can only be in the booth for so long. I try to do a two-hour session in the morning, two-hour session in the evening. And that keeps me on pace to you know get it done in a reasonable time and not kill my voice. Do you still drum? I mean, I think that's a good question. Are you still a drummer in a band somewhere? Or are, are there drums in the garage, perhaps? <laughs> <laughs> there are drums in the uh, crawl space, yes. <laughs> in the crawl space. <laughs> um, in the crawl space, yeah. I, I stopped drumming... I'd say a year or two after narration. I think it just took the majority of my creative capacity. Yeah, and also, you know, trying to make it work full time for the first year or so just overall took up the majority of my time. 
I would like to get back into it though. And, and actually I may not even be as a drummer. I'm, I'm kind of interested in picking up the bass guitar. So we'll see, <laughs> but I've been drumming okay. since I was a, a, a kid since nine or 10, uh, took private lessons old enough uh, until I was old enough to join the school band. So yeah, music has been a big part of my life for sure. I find that to be a thread with at least several of the narrators we've talked to. Sean Crisden has a musical side. John Solo certainly did. Finn For Sterling sure. was in a band. Is there a correlation there between being a musician and being a voice actor that kind of just exists or is it just creativity in general? You know, maybe a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. I, I think that being creative as a musician, it makes it probably easier to be creative as a voice actor doing audiobooks because you know you can you can understand pacing a little bit better than someone that perhaps isn't experienced in in music and, and rhythm but you know also it wasn't necessarily anything music related that brought me into narration other than just a a lovely coincidence you know with drew being a narrator already so i, I can't say that anything particularly draws musicians to it but i'd say it certainly helps and, and talking along the creativity lines, how do you keep kind of your creative energy flowing as you just go from book to book to book, trying to get the three to four and who knows if they're short enough, maybe more out? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, that, that's a good question. Honestly, it's probably one of the toughest parts about working, you know, in the creative field and for yourself, in my opinion, anyway. I love what I do. Wouldn't trade it for the world, but it's definitely easy to experience burnout. I'd say after so long. And I found that the best way to combat that is to just stick to a routine. I try to get up at the same time every day, stay consistent with when I get into the booth and splitting up my time into a morning session and evening session. Earlier on, I used to try one single session mid-afternoon. And that was just a recipe for disaster when it comes to burnout. I I was losing my voice quicker. I was getting, it was feeling a, a lot more monotonous to be in there. So I actually took a leaf out of the great Kenneth Obie's book. In addition to splitting up my sessions into two throughout the day, I also am generally working on two books at the same time in any given day, one in the morning, one in the evening. And that also helps just keep burnout from kicking in. And so, yeah, all that's to say, just keeping a schedule and, and keeping things fresh helped me stay creative throughout any given month two books at the same time kind of makes my head explode a little bit <laughs> as an author i am it's very hard for me to write on two books at once i might be able to write one and be in edits on one but i can't drive the creative energy to write two at the same time as you're doing that do you at least split up the genres so maybe your contemporary in the morning session and <laughs> sci-fi or suspense in the afternoon so there's a little differentiation there you know i don't do that intentionally it's just it's whatever is on my schedule for that particular uh, month i pair it that way but there are times where you know i'll go in and do a, a modern story in the morning and then i've got some really weird something going on in the evening it's definitely happened before but then in contrast, there's the times where I've got a shift to romance in the morning and a shift to romance in the evening, but two separate stories entirely. So, no, I don't do that intentionally, 
but it's not a bad idea. I might have to consider that to keep it fresh. <laughs> Possible process refinement in there. Exactly. Um, Taking notes. Because <laughs> I could just see where it's like, you know, you, you, you to get yourself back into the right vocal space to those characters, which is why I was kind of thinking that you might split them that way. I think them being separate stories, separate characters is enough for me. And then as we discussed earlier, just as long as I'm, I stay on top of, those voices I can jump back into them at will from going into the morning versus the evening, then no, it works out. I like that. And that's impressive. Maybe I need to take a page out of your book so I can do some different writing stuff too. <laughs> See how that might work. That might work. Do you have time to read for pleasure at all in the midst of all this, or is it always just reading to prep books? I don't read as much for pleasure as I'd like to, but I have been actively working to change that over the past few months. You know, I'm, I'm a bit of a political junkie, too. So I just picked up Against the Web by Michael Brooks. And that was a really fascinating read. I'm not sure that would be something I'd recommend people interested in romance. <laughs> but if you're into a political analysis, that was a lot of fun. And then just Audible in general, you know, I, I don't for as much as I record, I, I don't listen to a whole lot on there. But I do use it for language programs. I do do that. I, I dabble in like Pimsleur. It's, it's fun to learn some new languages on there. I had trouble sleeping the other night, so I went in and listened to volume one of Pimsleur Japanese. <laughs> Interesting. So, yeah. Did now you I absorb can... some along the way as you started to drift off? <laughs> you know, I can now say, Nihongo ga skosi wakarimasu, <laughs> which, you know, I, know, I knew no Japanese prior to going into it the other night. So, you know, I, I'm sure I butchered it, but, you know, that's a start, I guess, you know. That's going to be interesting to have to just somehow put into the transcript for this episode. <laughs> this is where Nick speaks Japanese and just put that in brackets. Just and what Japanese does that mean? Butchering. Is what you can <laughs> and what does that uh, mean for listeners who might be curious? That means at least what it's supposed to mean is I speak a little Japanese. Okay. So, you know, but if there's any people who are fluent in Japanese listening to this, I'm sorry for butchering it there. <laughs> <laughs> do you have something that you've read recently obviously for your job that you would actually recommend to our listeners either to catch your narration of it when it happens or just to read because it's a really good book i would definitely recommend the red air series absolutely hilarious fantasy story the two ladies that, that write it sarah honey and lisa henry they had me belly laughing the entire way through I mean, it just starts with a bang with a dungeon escape gone wrong, and it just keeps you engaged the entire time. So I cannot recommend that series enough. I'm excited for the second one to come out. I will say, as I was prepping to talk to you and I saw that, I'm like, that sounds hilarious. I think I might need to read that. <laughs> <They're> <laughs> anyway, so so funny. <laughs> They've got an orc named Dave. I mean, you just, it's so good. <laughs> How do you deal with that when you're in the booth? Like those moments in a book where it's like suddenly, you, you know, you as the reader want to bust out laughing or have an emotional moment, or is oh, that I, just I, where the where the outtake reel increases itself? <laughs> no doubt, for sure. I mean, especially they have a tendency to kind of go off on tangents and the characters having an inner monologue thought and just, you know, it's a paragraph long, but then it will divert to a second thing and so more often than not, it it's like a single sentence too. They just kind of ramble on and on and on and on. And so like, I'm like trying to get through it and perform it and, and do it well, 
but between running out of breath and just I start busting up laughing, I'm like, okay, all right, we're going to have to do that again from the top. (laughs) (laughs) Especially the running out of air part, because at some point it's just gone. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and sometimes that works. Sometimes I'll leave those in, in these particular books because it works well because of how ridiculous and over the top it is that by the end of the sentence, I'm sounding a bit like this, like <laughs> where I've, I've intentionally run out of air and it's like, okay, that played. But, you know, you pair that with sometimes I, I do have to stop because the line is just so, so silly. Yeah, it, there's definitely an outtake reel for that one. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be interesting. I wonder what Audible would think if people started tagging on like outtakes. <laughs> oh, I'll, be, I'll, bet, I'll bet that would be pretty popular. <laughs> The number of outtakes I have in any given book is vast. Let me tell you, I, I don't generally keep them because I just, with the way I record, they, they, they get recorded over, but there's some that I'll keep because I'm like, that, that's got to show up somewhere, I imagine. <laughs> the extras file somewhere. Exactly. Could be a whole new thing there, the, the extras for audiobooks. Oh my God. Can you imagine? I think, I think people would really like that. <laughs> well, I have to imagine. I mean, I don't have many mistakes I cut out of our podcast episodes. You know, just whether we're reading a script or whether we're having a conversation and it stumbles, I mean, it's huge. And I can only imagine when you're starting to, you know, look at six, eight plus hours of audiobook. There's a lot. (laughs) There's Um, a lot of mistakes in there for sure. Even when the words are in front of you, it's impossible to say them right all the time. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, I'll look at a sentence. It looks easy enough, but then I go to say it and just, you know, okay, retake What's it like to have the fandom? Because we've certainly seen over the past few years, basically the time that you've been in the genre even, where you know the audiobook narrators can have as much fandom as the authors, and where somebody narrating a book is why people will buy it. Did you envision that at all when you started? Definitely not. Definitely not. I mean... Like I said, when I first started, it was like, oh, this will just be fun for me. <laughs> you know, I'm going to I'm going to read this book and this is just for me. I'm just going to do my best and and I hope people like it, certainly. But I, I'm going to just have fun being in this booth and, and record this audio and just see what happens. And and just to see the response that that it's gotten since then. My first time at GRL there walking to the the panel and there was a line going around the, the the hall for that before they open the doors and that's one of the first exposures i had to face to face with a, with fans and as i'm walking up they're just like it's nick j russo it's nick j russo look, look, look. i'm like this is i've never experienced this in my life <laughs> it was signing autographs i i've never done that before that was that was it, it's thrilling and flattering but shocking nonetheless so Will we see you this year yeah. if, if we're lucky enough to have a GRL? Yeah, yeah, that's the plan. As long as it happens, I will be there. Excellent. What can you tell us about releases you've got coming up? Definitely always something in the pipeline. As far as what I'm working on right now, I'm wrapping up Elf Defense. But what should be out any day now, Confused Hearts, the sequel to Clashing Hearts by Nikki James. That's the Jasper Alberta one. That should be out any day now. I'm also working on Susie Hawk series. It's the sequel to Reluctant Alpha, the Mary Rundle Blackwood Pack series, a novella by Anita Sunday and Andy Gallo. It takes place with the Harrison Campus series. Oh, and I love also, those books. Oh my God, they're so great. I, I, I love those college stories. Fantastic. And then also an additional story by Anita Sunday as well. So a lot in the pipeline for sure. 
And no I doubt imagine. many more to come this year. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> For sure. For sure. Looking forward to it. What is the best way folks can keep up with you online to see what things are releasing, what you're working on, and, and keeping up on all things Nick? All the social media platforms I think I'm on at this point, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You can find me at Nick J. Russo Voice. That's, I think it's my handle across the board. But you can also check out my Facebook group, Nick's Naughty Nook. What a great name. Good alliteration. (laughs) (laughs) We have a lot of fun in there. Silly memes, gift dance parties, but we also do author interviews, code giveaways, and I do a weekly live read. So definitely a good place to stay in touch. Fantastic. Well, we'll link to all that stuff in our show notes so that people can find it. We'll link up to all the stories we talked about. Nick, thanks so much for coming and talking to us and give us a little more insight into your narration. Thank you so much for having me. This was fantastic. This episode's transcript has been brought to you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read the interview for yourself, simply head on over to the show notes page for this episode at biggayfictionpodcast.com. And don't forget, the show notes page also has all the links to everything that we've talked about in this episode. In the show notes, you'll also see which of the audiobooks we've talked about are also available on Libro.fm. Now, we love Libro.fm because it lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro.fm app, and you are set to go. Listeners of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast can also get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of one when they sign up at biggayfictionpodcast.com slash Libro.fm. That's L-I-B-R-O-F-M. We hope you'll join us supporting local bookstores by shopping at Libro.fm. And thanks again to Nick for coming to talk to us a little bit about the books that he's worked on and how he got started. I really love the tight family that Falcon Sound Company has, how Nick got brought in by Drew Baca, and it was all connected through John Solo's company. A really nice little connection there of gay romance narrators. It was really wonderful. All right, I think that's going to do it for now. Coming up Thursday in episode 285, it's the January Big Gay Fiction Book Club episode. And this month, we're going to be discussing An Unseen Attraction by K.J. Charles. I absolutely adored this book. The romance was terrific, and the mystery and suspense in the book just made it all a really wonderful package. Looking forward to talking about that. Thank you for listening. Until next time, everyone, please stay strong, be safe, and above all else, keep turning those pages and keep reading. Big Gay Fiction Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find more shows you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Our original theme music is composed by Daryl Banner. Thank you.